I was uh, just traveling this week with the World Without Orphans team. Some of the team went into um, <clears throat> Ukraine uh, because uh, World Without Orphans was born in Ukraine out of a group of uh, business people and pastors who cried out to God, Lord, could you empty the orphanages of Ukraine into the church? And they mobilized the church across the nation to uh, adopt children out of the orphanages, and they managed to get it right. First nation to do that. It was the birthing of a movement, a global movement, and around many other countries around uh, Ukraine caught the vision and began to do that, and uh, it's now become a, a global movement in the world without orphans movement. So and we're, we're significantly as a church invested in that. So we went, all the leaders were going, because many of them were going into Ukraine to just strengthen the team that were there, uh, and the rest of us could all make it. We went to Poland to have meetings for the last week to do strate strategic planning. Um, what struck me about this time is they, they went into Ukraine and met with some people who've been working 18-hour days just helping refugees come out of uh, the people who are destitute, their homes have been destroyed, um, and it's a, it's a terrible tragedy. A lot of the moms have, they have come with their kids, the fathers have had to stay behind in the country to be part of the standing militia, and... Um, so not a lot of hope, not, they can't carry, they can, you can, whatever you can carry with you is what you can bring. So, you know, um, weeks and weeks of uh, not knowing where they're going, not knowing how they're going to provide for, for themselves has worn its toll. And the workers are burned out. But what began to emerge for us is a picture of amazing hope, of unbelievable resilience in the, in the hearts of a few people who are all believers who've taken a stand in the middle of this destitute place and began to minister to people and began to do what they can with what they have. And that's what was amazing to me, the disproportionate impact that just a few little resources and a dedicated person can have on a nation. And so Susan Hillis had gone a few months back and spent some time in a, there's a, there's a guy, a Christian pastor who has a church of about 150 people, but he, he just felt the Lord said, I want you to take this on. And so he began to, to look after refugees and eventually they've been given a hotel that'll house a thousand women and their children. And so they managed this hotel and they trusting God for food and their budget went from, you know, $100,000 to over 2 million because uh, the, they just needed to raise money and, they, and they're running this thing. And Susan went in and just began to meet with the ladies who were just hanging out there hopeless. Um, and Susan, uh, along with uh, another social worker who's a uh, psychologist, have developed this four-part series where they have ladies come into small groups and begin to talk about what's going on. And uh, these, these little, um, little home groups of hope and uh, what's happened now is that it's just been so, uh, it's been so successful that it's been launched in four or five other countries and it's spreading throughout. And so these ladies are training, trainers who are going out and training other ladies to how to handle their own um, emotions and their own trauma and how to speak to their children about it. We met with, well, in Poland we met with this couple who had left in 94 when the previous aggression from Russia had come and they'd gone to Poland and they were about to go back and the Lord said, no, I want you to stay here. And they said, Lord, why? And he said, I can't tell you now because if I told you, you'd be discouraged. So I want you to stay in Poland and wait, which they've been doing. And now they're the primary source of um, helping families. About three million people have crossed the border into Poland from Ukraine in the last two months. So you get a sense of that. You know, we have a sense of outrage with the you know, 100,000 people a month. They've had, they had two million people, two or three million people in the last two months. So the, the, 
not only is Ukraine traumatized, but the neighboring nations are traumatized as well. Um, because if you've had somebody in your home for six months, you know, you start to say, it's time for you to, God bless you as you go, but go. <laughs> and uh, the problem is that uh, these moms are so distraught and their children are so struggling that they really don't have resources to go. And the people are tired of giving. So in the middle of that tough situation, this pastor and his wife were sitting there and they're just down and I feel like the Lord gave me a word for him and I gave him the word and the first time he looked at me was when I finished the word and he, and he began, and I saw tears in his eyes and then he began to talk about what he's doing and they have this little deck of cards that shows different human emotions and they take it to the to children and they talk to children about how you're feeling and, what is, and, and it's a way for them to express and, they, and it's bringing healing to thousands of children and they go to camps and they're training people and I just realized the, the church is the hope of the world. And the church shows up in the darkest places. And it just, I came away from the week just going, man, church, you have something that you don't even know. But when the church shows up in the darkest places, we make a massive difference. And so I just came away with that, with that testimony of how potent the church is even in the darkest of places. And it kind of left the residue in my spirit of going, Lord, we help us to show up in the right places. I just want to say my prophecy is this. The world is desperate for the real Christians to stand up. Will the, will the real church please just stand up some way so we can come to them and go, can you help me please? And I think that's kind of what I was hearing in my spirit all week. Will the, will the real church just please stand up? Just show yourself some way so that we can come and say, okay, do you have any hope for us? But I'm here to tell you the church is doing profound things. Yeah. And, and much uh, resource. M many people are starting to give to the Christians because they're the only ones still standing. Uh, some of the food we, we've managed to get through to uh, one of our demo is, is one of our guys. He, he takes it, he puts it, loads his car, he drives into remote places. He says for, the, for many of those people that come running up and weeping because they say you're the first person who's come to show any help. The government has stopped helping. Nobody, he said, the only person who's come to show, and because the believers show up with help, they get to preach the gospel, they get to, they get to rule the whole area. Because simply, part of the problem in our world is that Christians don't show up. That's all you have to really do, just show up in the crisis and be yourself. So I was just blessed by that, but I wonder if you would join me in a prayer, because there's something in my heart just going, Lord, would you... Would you use me? So, Father, that's our prayer. We're praying, would you, would you stir something in our hearts, Lord, that the real Christians stand up, that we'd be, that we'd be present, Lord, in the, in the crisis, be there in the moments of darkness so that your light can shine and that worlds can change. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to give as you usually give. Thank you so much for your generosity. It's been a uh, delight to be there and there's usual places, so thanks. I have a message on my heart today called Salt of the Earth, Light of the World. It's been something that's been stirring in me for a little while now. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So let me take you straight to that scripture where this is Jesus speaking in uh, Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Let me just repeat that phrase. Let your light shine before others. Oh, I don't want to be arrogant. I, I don't want to be seen. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. In Roman times, a soldier was many times paid with salt. That's where the expression is worth his salt comes from. Uh, some salary, the, the word salary also comes from it's a similar concept. In ancient times, salt was a very precious commodity. Oftentimes, it's a symbol of friendship. God called his covenant with David a covenant of salt, a covenant between two friends. And to share salt with somebody else, in around, especially around a meal, meant that I really like you, let's, let's eat together. And Jesus said, you are the salt. Salt preserves. If you pour, in those days, because there was no refrigeration or vacuum sealing, they would, you know, you'd kill an animal and you'd cook some of the meat, but the part of the meat you couldn't consume, you'd, you'd make sure to salt it heavily because salt would, would um, break off the decay that started at the skin level. So if you salted something very carefully, it would remain, but if you didn't salt it, it would decay very quickly. So salt was a purifying agent. It was a, a, something that sustained something. And then obviously it was a taste, added taste to the thing. Sometimes salt was used to fix a wound. And sometimes the church is the salt in the wound. Sometimes stinging is necessary for healing. There's just one warning about salt, Jesus said. Don't lose your saltiness. Various places in Israel where they would gather salt, but sometimes if you're gathering salt, especially if it's in a vein and they dig it out, they would find salt. Uh, but, but the one that was exposed to the elements, it's rained, other things have touched it. It doesn't taste salty. If you dig that away, scrape that away, you get to the salt, it's very taste salty again. So what they did with salt that wasn't salty, it wasn't, wasn't useful. You couldn't put it on your meal, it wouldn't add to the taste, you, you couldn't, it couldn't keep any food. The only thing that was useful for that salt kind of salt is when it was cold weather, you would throw it on the ground and it would keep your feet from slipping. So they would, salt that wasn't salty was walked on. And in this world, when, when believers stop being salty, the only thing you're useful for is for the world to tread on you. Wow. That's not a pleasant place. I don't want to be the world's fodder. I want to be the salt of the earth. And Jesus said, you are the light. Let your light shine before men, like a city on a hill to be noticed by everybody, like a candle on the stand. Our job is to give light to other people. We put it in prominent places. You don't light a candle and hide it in your closet. You put it on the highest place. So Christians should not hide ourselves, but we should live and work and move among people in full view with our, with our faith right out there for everybody to see because the truth is, this world owes a tremendous debt to the church. We are the salt that God has provided that stops the decay of our generation and that flavors life for our generation. 
We are an indispensable part of society. And it has become fashionable in the last 10 years for whole of society to denigrate the church and go, oh, we need to deconstruct, we need to push that away, you know, and, and to make light of the church. And I'm just here to tell you that's the absolute nonsense because the church is the hope of the world. So this world owes a debt. There was a young believer who just nearly believed, and he was due to go on a camp that wasn't a Christian camp with a whole bunch of other teens, and he went to his pastor, and he said, I just, got, I just gave my life to the Lord, and I'm, I'm worried about this camp, and you know, how's it going to go? And so his pastor prayed with him, and off he went on the camp, and he came back, and his pastor asked him, how did it go? And he said, oh, it was fine. No one found out I was a Christian. A lot of business people act that way. A lot of politicians. It, it, it went fine. Nobody, they didn't find out I was a Christian. You're going to let some people find out. <laughs> you are by God's design what your generation needs. Because we are the people who get to call down the blessings of God on our generation. We are the ones who stand in intercession and we cry for mercy and for salvation. And we, we, we lift up our voices like a sweet melody to heaven. Our influence and our example to the world stops debauchery from going on. We are the salt in the wound. We are the ones who push back evil. We are the ones who bring down the light. We are the ones who proclaim the truth. Stop the church. This world is in desperate chaos. You are needed. Will the real believers please stand up? You are needed in this world. We're the bulwark. We're the spiritual shield against a spiritual battle that the enemy is raging against a generation. And they have no armor. They have no spiritual armor. They have no spiritual understanding. They have no concept of God. And they're under the enemy's attack. Who stops that in our generation? You do. Who brings the light of God into your company that you work for? Who brings it into the school your kids go? Who brings it into the politics of your day? Who brings God's kingdom into our world? You do. Yeah. Our actions give hope to a world that is quickly running out of hope. Our love brings light in dark days when nobody else is. We change atmospheres, friends. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He did not say these are things you should aspire to. He said, these are things that you are. That's why he said, don't lose your saltiness. That's why he said, don't hide your candle in the closet. You are salt and you are light. Be salt to a tasteless and decaying world and be light to people who are stumbling in darkness. The weapons that we fight with, love, kindness, generosity, humility, righteousness, the practical good deeds we do become unstoppable and indispensable. But we should not use the power to reject others or belittle them or be full of arrogance or stingy in our withholding of help. Let me say it again. It is our being, not just our doing. We can be salty and bright or we can be tasteless and dim. 
tasteless and dim believers are not helpful in the world. Don't be tasteless or dim. I'm preaching. I just wanted you to know I'm not pointing at you. I'm feeling the, the, this message is ringing around the room and hitting me in the back of the heart. Time for us to embrace who we are. Ephesians 5 says, you, once you were children of darkness, but now you're the children of light. Live as children of light. Thessalonians 5 says, you are all children of the light and children of the day. You do not belong to the night. You do not belong to the darkness. Amen. Philippians 2.15, children of God without fault in a wicked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars. Will the real Christians please stand up? We are in a state, not just a calling, of being salt and light. Choose to be salty and let your light shine in public. Let me say it again. It's our being, not just our doing. Leif, my friend, says it's counterproductive for us to contend for the kingdom of God without carrying the nature of God. And the nature of God is love. Jesus didn't give us a commission and then say, now try and, try and work yourself into doing that. He gave us a state of being and said, now go and be. Do you understand the difference? Go and be who you are in, in tough places. Go and be who you are in the place that God called you. Go and be salt and light. Greg, I'm for it. How do I do this? I want to be salt. I want to give light. Tell me how. Do you have any wisdom? So here's some wisdom points I want to throw out there to you. And I'm in a learning process. I feel like the Lord, uh, can I just hit a pause? I've been embarrassed at how the Lord's been talking to me about this because he's, it's embarrassing because he's been using the kinds of things you do to a young child. Give me a lesson, then there's a big reward. So... I'm traveling to Krakow, coming home, and I and and I I because I I said oh, I'm just going to buy a nosebleed seat because you know I, I would prefer to be up in first class, but that's 17 times more expensive. So because I'm flying with the church's money, I, go, I buy a nosebleed, and they bump me automatically up. At, so, but now they've got me sitting in a row of four with four other people, and I'm I'm not the guy. That's not good for me. <laughs> so I said, so I go to the guy because. I'm not going to eat my food, you know, I, I don't do well. And sleep, and uh, you know, it's just going to be ugly. So, so I go to the guy at the counter, and I say, hey, is there any way you could bump me back? Because at least I had an aisle seat in, in the nosebleed section. So we, we get talking, and he goes, and I said, by the way, thank you. Just, I really appreciate the help, because I'm just being nice. I just thought, let me be kind and see what that does. And he goes, uh, he goes it's, a it's a really full flight. Because I could pull the, you know, I'm a whiz-bang member of Delta, and you know, you should be, and I'm somebody. And... So I don't do any of that nonsense. So I go, just thank you so much for helping. He goes, um, it's a really full flight. But I could get you your own row. I said, wow, that would be very, he says, okay. 
the lady next door has been hearing our conversation. She goes, I won't let anybody take your row. I said, thank you so much. So I get on this flight. It is wall to wall, except my row, four seats, is me. <laughs> I catch a connecting flight. They bump me up to first class. I'm coming back. I'm supposed to, uh, and they, I get to the thing, I put, bing, and the guy goes, oh no, I got the wrong thing. They bump me up to first class. I missed that flight. They bump me up to first class. They come and apologize while I'm sitting in first class. They're so sorry that you missed your, I'm going, Lord, what is going on? Do you understand? The Lord's, Lord's making it very plain. Like I, and that's why I'm slightly embarrassed. It's, he's like using little kids, you, you see? Yeah, here's what I want you to do. Well done. It's, that, it's, it's a little young. I came back well rested. Yeah, okay, wisdom. Wisdom points. Number one, do everything in Jesus' name. Colossians, whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me, I just want, I'm traveling back from, I'm through Krakow, we get on the flight, I, I've been bumped up, I'm sitting at first class, I can see the, I'm, I'm the first guy out the door. So I'm going, this is great. Woo. And so, but now we stop and, and they don't close the doors and we're supposed to take off. And I've only got an hour and a half because I've got to get across so after 20 minutes, I say to the, the air says, hey, excuse me, hi, I, I do have a connecting flight. Is, oh, oh, do you know? She says, oh, there's some paperwork. So basically, some guy's being negligent, and the paperwork's not done. Although everybody's aboard, we're not flying. So now, usually, that wouldn't be peaceful for me. <laughs> but I've... But I hear the scripture in my head, in everything you do, whether it's in word or deed, do it in Jesus' name. So now I'm aware, I'm sitting in the front row with four people, and they're all listening to my conversation, and I'm aware that they don't know I'm a pastor, but I'm going, I'm going to do it in Jesus' name. So I'm, I'm honoring, I'm kind. I said, oh, that's great. I said, is there any way you could call ahead? She says, I'm not allowed. Regulations are, once we're on the plane, I can't call out. So I'm thinking, the doors are still open. This is not complicated. She goes, so I, I'm so sorry, I can't do that. So instead of explaining her job to her, <clears throat> you know, can I, I'm just being real, is this okay? Because <clears throat> that's what I would do in my name. But I have to do it in Jesus' name. So I honor her. I say, thank you for your job. You're doing, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Eventually, the doors close. We're 40 minutes late. She said, I can't help you. We get up in the air, and she comes to me, and she says, I want you to know I really did try. I called them, and there's somebody going to be waiting for you on the ground. So sorry. We, we, so I said, do you think I'm going to miss it? She goes, I think you're going to miss it. I said, is there any way we can? She goes, oh, let me see. This woman broke protocol because I was kind to her. So I sit back. The lady next to me says, what do you do? <laughs> Which is a strange question, no? Something, 
something in the interaction here stirred something in her. What is it that you, who are you? She asked me, basically. So I said, I'm a pastor and I work with Worldwide Out Orphans and we have this great conversation and she, she's got a friend who does Netflix documentaries and she says, you should be on a Netflix documentary. We should take this, we should take this and put it on a documentary. We should, we should, get, let, the, we should make, let the world know about this. And we have this interesting conversation. I go, that's a great idea. She goes, I'm gonna call him when I get off the flight. And I arrive late, and the lady says, maybe you've got to try. So I rush, and I'm rushing across. And I get sent the wrong direction twice by ground staff. I had to catch two buses, a tram, and a train to get to my next gate. I arrived there 20 minutes after the flight is gone, and I'm sweating, and I'm unhappy. <laughs> and I go, like, there's, and I stand in line, which I stood for in an hour and 45 minutes before I got to the front of the desk. But I landed, as my daughter would say, Dad, your eight is showing. If for those of you who know the Enneagram. My, my eight is showing. I am loaded for bear. I'm about to take control of the circumstances and drive them somewhere. <laughs> and the Lord reminds me, do whatever you do, in word or do, do it all in the name of Jesus. So I calm myself and I relax. And I start talking to the people around me. And I find out the family in front of me is emigrating to Atlanta from Copenhagen. And they have three young kids. And we have a great conversation about Atlanta and where they can get involved and how they can connect. And we... A couple of people in front of them, there are two obnoxious Atlantans. <laughs> and they are... Uh, saying everything I'm feeling, but they saying it out loud, <laughs> but not not nicely. Oh no, I have to wait. I cannot believe I've had to wait this long, and now we stand now. And they go on and on like this, and then but they get on a flight. The family, because there's two people, the family that I've been just connecting with, they, I just hear them, they need to get to Atlanta, and the guy says, first time you can get this next Wednesday. This guy's standing there, but he's on a flight, and he's got a hotel, but he's down, no, I can't even get to Paris tonight, and all of this time it's taken, and I have to stand in line waiting for him to finish his tirade. After an hour and 45 minutes, I'm ready to help him go, you know, go to the hotel. <laughs> And I'm in that mode when I step up to the desk. A lady who had been helping other people, who had been making eye contact with me for an hour and a half, finishes up her shift and she walks out the line and she comes to me and apologizes to me. She says, I'm so sorry, I have to go. I'm not fine, you know, you have to go. So I get up there and I say, Lord, help me. And I say, oh lady, thank you. This is a tough job you have. She goes, man, it's been a tough day. I said, thank you for, this, is, this must be tough, but thank you for helping. She says, what can I do for you? I said, I need to get to Atlanta. So she checks, she says, I have one seat left. I said, thank you so much. So we, she gets me. She took about a third of the time she took for anybody else to get me a seat, which turned out to be Delta One in the first class cabin. When I get on the plane, I'm like, thank you. The two obnoxious guys were not in Delta One. They were on the same flight. They were in the nosebleed section. 
She found them seats. The context of this in Colossians 3 is set your mind on things above. Your life is hidden now with Christ in God. Throw off what belonged to your old dead nature. Go read Colossians 3. This is the context. Throw off that old you because you're dead. That's not you anymore. Now clothe yourself with Jesus' nature. As God's holy people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bear with one another in love and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ basically be good to the body of believers. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body, you've been called to peace. And let the word of God dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. Sing and make melodies in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. You are in Christ and he is in you. Live like it. Number two. Took too long on that. Do everything in Jesus' name. Number two. Serve Jesus where he planted you. Corinthians 7, quickly. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. And this is the rule I laid down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person, person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when he called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can give you freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when he was called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when he called them. Paul said, this is a rule I lay down in all the churches. This is a standard rule. Uh, your field is that you are supposed to light up is the field that you work in. Your meal to spice up is the one that's right in front of you. Go and preach doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to another nation. Just go as far as the place that God has planted you. Go into the world is a mindset that the place where you work and where you hang out and the, 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 the place in life that you find yourself in, serve there. So Paul says to servants, then go and reach the servants. When Paul was in, under a house arrest, he says the whole palace God has heard about the gospel. Why? Because that was the situation God put him in, and so he witnessed to every soldier that was attached to him. The whole palace God has heard. Paul said, stay where you put, where God planted you. Are you, are you middle management? Then, then minister middle manager. Are you senior management? Senior management. If you're a slave, don't walk into the master's quarters and start preaching. Now listen up, all you guys. He goes, no, no, minister to the slaves. Am I, are you tracking? God has assigned you somewhere in life. Stay there. Make a difference there. Wow, bless God. Uh, these people are weird, but I'm going to go over there and preach. No, you'll find those people are weird too. 
You're an accountant? Go and win the accountants. You're a lawyer? Go and win the lawyers. You're a housewife? Go and win the housewives. Paul said, this is, a, this is a basic principle I laid out on all the churches. Hey, 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 except where you are in life. Now he says to the slaves, if you can get a promotion, go for that. It's not anti-promotion. He's just saying that wherever you are right now, that's your calling to minister into. Live where you breathe. Go minister to those people. You know why? Because they think they like you. They think you're similar to them. You're in the same set of circumstances. They're open to what you have to say. Live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to you. It's a rule I lay down in all the churches, Paul said. Number three, do something for others who are in need. Matthew 25, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And then the king will reply, truly, Whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. There are going to be needs that manifest around you. doesn't matter where you are in life. God is going to be faithful to see to it that needs in people around you will be manifested to you. These are eternal invitations to be salt and light. In case you don't recognize what that is. That's not an inconvenience. That's an eternal invitation to be salt and light. And if you're captured by mammon, or you, you tend to want to isolate yourself from need, well, I don't, don't, come, don't let them get on me. But I want to say that if any one of us came across Jesus and we recognized it was Jesus and he needed food or water or clothing or uh, somewhere to stay, we'd be all over that. Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. So acts of kindness to people that the Lord puts in our pathway are our opportunity for kingdom recognition. To prove that we're children of our Father who's in heaven. Whatever you did for the least of these, Jesus said. It's a mark of kingdom people that they're doing something for the least. The anointing rests on something. It rests on an action, a thought, a prayer. Anointing is an abiding something. It's like oil that's poured onto something. Give God something to anoint. Give him an action. Do something. Say, Lord, anoint this. I've only got this hundred bucks and I've got this hour to give, but I'm going to give this hour and this hundred bucks. Would you anoint them so that they become worth a thousand times whatever I can give? Let me close. You are salt. You are light. Don't be unsalty and don't hide your light. That's what Jesus said. Simply as I can put it. The way we do this is those three little wisdom points that we started with. Okay? Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in Jesus' name. So that at the end of your action, at the end of your interaction with somebody, you can say, I love Jesus. Those two obnoxious guys who were from Atlanta, I, uh, the last 10 minutes that they were there, I started praying, Lord, please don't let your name come out of their mouth. 
Honestly. Please do not let them say, oh, you should come to our church. Don't. Honestly, it was my prayer. Because they've been so obnoxious. Don't let the name of Jesus be attached to that. I was petrified that we're going to... Does that make sense? Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. Commit to where you are in life. If God, if God chooses to elevate you and, and promote you out of that, Paul says, go for it. That's fine. But right now, wherever you are, commit there. And number three, God is going to ensure that there's going to be need around you. Be salt and light. Do something. Do something. The smallest action is better than the greatest intention. Just do something in Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to be a good light and I want to be tasty salt. I want to make a difference in this world, Lord. You said we are the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. And boy, does the world need us. Would the real Christians please stand up? And I'm asking, Lord, that you would do something in our hearts and that you'd give us this week opportunities and this month and this year that you would, that you would amplify, magnify, turn up by 10 times Lord, the impact of our church in our society. Take us, Lord, and use us powerfully to be beautiful salt and light and make a difference in our world, Lord. Push back evil, drive out, Lord, darkness, cause hope to spring up and do it through us. Take us on an adventure, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.